This is Brian Winerdy from the Talking Bay 94 podcast, and you are listening to the Rebel Base Card podcast. Great pull, kid. Whoa. I have never seen anyone do... What was that? The fight is done. We lost. But the questions survive. Jedi cannot help what they are. Their compassion leaves a trail. And that trail leads right here. This is Leave the Breakfast and Take the Kenobi, a Rebel Base Card micro podcast series. A Star Wars Obi-Wan series podcast that asks more questions than it answers, especially this one. Today, we are asking questions on the Kenobi series, chapters one, two, and three, which aired first at Celebration, then in a bunch of places all over the place and on Disney+. And if you haven't seen any of that series, and you haven't, I don't believe you. Not for (laughs) listening to me. I'm too obscure. This is your only warning. I'm going to have you dump out now and catch this at a later time. Download it for sure. Just catch it at another time. I am, of course, a little less happy to be across the Skype call and not in person with my co-host, fellow Card Squadron winger, Celebration Hotel mate, IHOP Greasy Breakfast partner, Gregory Cass from Ion <laughs> Cannon. Greg, how are you adjusting to life on the outside? It's over, Greg. I have the higher cholesterol. <laughs> uh, yes. Oh, man, it is it difficult to adjust back to normal life, uh, you know? I keep talking to random strangers I pass by on the street like, did you see Kenobi? Does anybody (laughs) want to talk to me about Kenobi? Uh, But what a magical time we had. I wish we were talking uh, across a couple mugs of coffee and some French toast and eggs uh, because even if it shortened our lives, it uh, improved our lives. How are you doing with the adjustment back to normal life? I keep waiting to see an old clone veteran go on a few credits for an old veteran, um, which, by the way, shout out to Tamora Morrison uh, mm-hmm. for giving us the, the first time he's worn uh, that clone suit that wasn't a CG suit. Um, oh, cool. I didn't know that. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and it was amazing. And a 501st, uh, I think, one at that. If I, I, I snuck in a few, uh, I snuck in a few looks uh, to here and there. Um, mm. But, yeah, it's just been trying to adjust to, to life, getting back on the schedules. You know, it's, you know, it's funny because just working for months, trying to get the swag packs ready and going through all this, you know, and getting the, the, we had that like kind of a Twitter chat channel going, um, running back and forth, just an amazing time. And I think we're going to look back and that with that celebration was going to be, it's going to be very special. Um, and it's, you know, I, what can you say, Greg, right? I mean, it was my fourth celebration, and uh, I took a nice little pile of swag over to uh, Carl from Wampa's Lair's house uh, the other morning, and he said, was it as good as it seemed? I was like, it's the best one I've ever been to. Um, and uh, yeah, there was no movie to promote. There was a lot to promote, no no actual movie. But what made this one so special was the people we saw, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, The second I stepped out of the cab, I ran immediately into Frank and Amy and yourself. uh, And then we just continued to bop through all the different uh, people we've had the pleasure of getting to know these pandemic years. So I don't think I'll be in London if I'm at the one 
after that, I think I'll have my my wonderful, probably nine year old by then in tow. Uh, but uh, this will always go down as you know the community celebration for me, and and boy was it special. So so you know it's natural to feel a little loneliness after that, a little come down, a little depression, but. Honestly, uh, what better remedy than a little uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi? Oh, yes, yes. And, you know, it's, it's nice. That's the great, that's a great consolation prize was just to get a little bit of this and, you know, see the community kind of get back in all gears. And it's going to be really fun over the next few weeks as everybody is getting their celebration shows out and they're all going boom, boom, boom. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to be interesting. And then we're going to kind of get of a break, right? We, um, you know, for me, Julie, at Star Wars Day is tomorrow. Um, so I'm going to see a lot of the folks that I didn't see out at celebration and I might see a few that I did, but you know, this party keeps continuing and I don't necessarily care whether it's, it's a large celebration or it's a library show or your local con, or if you have to go, I, I think the key for everybody is, is that, uh, these relationships you get, these people you meet, uh, these are the things that make it, you know, all the swag, all the, all the show exclusives. Don't make up for those bonds that we got to have, and a lot of firsts for you and myself, and some and and a lot of our other the folks we got a chance to meet. And what's nice is there's even those little breadcrumbs of people I didn't get a chance to meet. Hopefully, I'll see them again. If celebration, I shouldn't say if, I have a feeling that celebration comes back to probably Orlando. Although I thought Houston was an interesting take uh, that uh, I think. Um, uh, Albert from Cantina Cast was saying because they have a large convention center as well. But I like the fact that since we made it out to California, I don't think anything in the contiguous United States, in the contiguous 48, is off the table at mm. a future date. Only because getting over there was, that's as far away as you can get from Boston. You know, it's like you went from <laughs> East Coast to West Coast. You know, for us, the Midwest, you can go everything. I, I'm okay if it doesn't come back to Chicago for a little bit because that's just being a little bit, you know, it's being a little bit stingy because like, well, it's mm-hmm. easy. But, you know, if, if it went back to Indy, if it went back to Houston or Orlando, um, heck, go to Atlanta, go to go to Minneapolis, um, go to go to Denver. I'm, and there's mm-hmm. got to be, you know, especially with some of these gargantuan stadiums and, and everybody's got a convention center. Why not? Uh, Vegas yeah. is another one that I kept thinking like, yeah, why not? There's so much more there now and you've got every hotel room vegas would be an interesting one and that uh you know you do a lot of walking there anyway so um sure. just putting it out there anyway um the show that you're listening to not not the not the <laughs> not the uh the celebration pro, you know celebration guessing show uh, works like this greg and i are going to take turns asking questions that we have not talked about yet Technically not. We've re-recorded, re-recorded this intro, so we've kind of talked about it, but we haven't talked about it yet, <laughs> as far as you know. Um, there's a chance we could take each other's questions, uh, but that's the fun. Um, this spurs some great conversation, and really the pressure's off. We can get, we can go as crazy as we want because we don't have to answer these. Uh, that's why we listen to a bunch of other shows. Uh, so they fill in the blanks for us over the next weeks, and we have three more of these episodes Uh, So it's like a lot of stuff is happening at once. In this particular show, there are no points. There are no bonuses. There are no (laughs) lightning rounds. This time, this is going to be the one time we won't have the Greg's List in this because we haven't listened to anything yet. We've got to hurry up and get the show done so we can edit it so I can get it up so now we can listen to all the other podcasts. Uh, Because (laughs) as we visited the podcast stage, I'm like, I love all your shows. I don't listen to them. No, I need (laughs) to listen to all the shows. Anyway, so we're going to take Greg's first question right off the bat and we'll get started from there. All right. I went through a long process on these questions, but here is the first one I'm thinking. 
So I do have just in all capital letters at the top of my notepad, how great is this? Uh, mm. So I won't use my first slot for that, but just to, to again emphasize, I think they're nailing this and I'm having so much fun. Anybody who's listened to us before knows that um, when it comes to my Star Wars fandom, Kenobi is king. And so to have this time with him is wonderful. So um, I can't promise I will stick roughly uh, to chronological order because I I might jump around a bit. But I am going to go back to the first episode. And I actually want to return to the conversation that you, uh, Jen, and I had, that's uh, at Subchokchai, had um, prior to the show starting and, and with the trailer dropping. And in that trailer, we got this little back and forth, or we got a taste of this back and forth between Owen and uh, Kenobi. And I believe it was Jen's question, which I'm just going to wholly steal here. Uh, <laughs> now that we've seen the full kind of interaction at least so far between those two characters is uncle owen right is he right to hide luke from kenobi to reject him and reject his presence in in luke's life how do you mm. feel uh, about that conflict now that we've seen it all boy it, you know it's interesting because it goes back to just recently i had a chance to talk with um Sam Tashimi from Tashi Station. Nice. Um, about the Decipher Star Wars cards, and that will be a future episode. And what was interesting is we went back to the Owen card, and on the Owen card at the time, it is listed mm. that Owen Lars is uh, Obi-Wan's brother on the card, uh, which is a great little sort of uh, footnote in that. But I have a feeling that, you know, a lot of things have happened in these 10 years. You know... Obi-Wan is certainly not the not the man he used to be, so he's not just kind of blowing smoke when he says that. He's really turned himself off. It's almost interesting that at this point, he even cares if the boy is to be trained mm. rather than just be safe. But, you know, so there is that, I think there's a little bit of conflict in him. And, you know, if you kind of see how, I, I think it's different when Obi-Wan comes and he's, I mean, he's a little beat up at the end of Revenge of the Sith, but he's still... You know, he's still in top Jedi form at this point. You know, he's just Joe Blow Butcher, who is just kind of spewing some crazy stuff. And you've had 10 years of, you know, the Empire and, and everybody else just kind of being jerks to each other. So I am kind of at this point, I'm still kind of Team Owen that I, I don't see anything that tells me that, you know, all I'm, all I'm doing other than is sending Luke to his death. I don't know. Mm. What, what do you think? I mean, I. I think the moment where Riva is confronting Owen and seems to have just picked him at random, right? Um, this seems to be her main tactic is to make somebody suffer to draw out, you know, the truth or the hidden Jedi or what have you. Um, I think that moment to me spoke to how correct Owen was because this isn't a game. <laughs> I mean, this is not, I understand. And, and of course we all know that Luke is destined for something great, but you know, she expresses a willingness to just murder his family. If no one in the town t gives information about the, the other Jedi, the, the Benny Safdie, uh, Jedi. Uh, <laughs> so, um, that to me demonstrated that this is much darker and much more complicated than we thought it was. It's, mm. it's not, simple now 
of course, being somebody with a heart, like what's the harm of giving him a toy, right? What's the harm of uh, giving Luke a toy, which is what, uh, you know, Obi-Wan wanted to do in that first episode. And Owen rejects any role in life, seeing it all as leading to the training or, you know, uh, to, to Luke becoming active out in the galaxy. But I think... A New Hope Owen I don't sympathize with, but this Owen I really do because the galaxy is is here on Tatooine and the Empire is here and there's real danger. So he he should, uh, to quote Gandalf the Grey, keep keep him secret, keep him safe, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, and as you can see later on in the series when we get to Mapuzo, um, yeah, even that you're not you're really not safe wherever. Yeah. Um, All right, it's it's yours now. All right, I'm gonna I want to take this one because I kind of was uh, this was one I kind of came to and I've been kind of chewing on it and a little bit of nuts and bolts here. We know that the series had to go through some rewrites mm. after you know Mandalorian. Do you think the the story originally was about Luke and then got shifted to Leia? Hmm. So just to put out all my cards, what I've heard about the rewrites <laughs> Good are, show for it. Good show to put yeah, out my cards. True, true. Uh, what I've heard about the rewrites is that it was um, two things. It was what you just said. It was that um, they kind of figured out this plot they wanted to do, and then Dave and John were like, oh, hold on. That's exactly what we're doing for Mandalorian. <laughs> um, and so that might have been back when Kenobi was um, a uh, movie before it was a television show. And then the second thing I heard was that they lightened it up, that it was going to be very dark and kind of hopeless. And when they reviewed those scripts and they saw everything, they really said, you know, I don't think that's the mood that that is fitting for this. And so they went back and they they lightened the tone a, a bit. So kind of balancing those two things... I think it is striking that this is, again, kind of a, a dad story, right? But it is a girl dad story now <laughs> instead of a, a, a father and son story, which, you know, Star Wars could use a, a few more of uh, anyway. So I'm going to say that maybe it was. And, and my other guess as a part of that is I think maybe Tatooine was the grand sum of it, right? That we didn't leave Tatooine, that that the threat was there and he had to protect Luke and it, it showed something um, really threatening and dark. Um, I bet that's where it was. Uh, sorry. I guess the third thing I know about the rewrites is, is it was uh, Vader didn't show up until the rewrites mm. and that, you know, Dave Filoni was very skeptical of this, but Deborah Chow won him over and explained how she'd use them, what he'd do, how they could make it fit into Canon and I think that means, uh, you know, uh, we wouldn't have seen him until this time because um, it doesn't uh, it seems like Vader would be very slow to go to Tatooine for the obvious comical reasons. So right. that's my guess. What are what are you thinking? I, I have to agree. I, I do think, you know, it's funny because once once we went to Alderaan mm. and you see and you see, you know, Leia get kidnapped then all of a sudden it's like you kind of have a smack your head moment and going well of course we were trying to think before like what's going to make obi-wan leave tatooine 
what's going to make him leave what his thing is. And, you know, and, and at least at the beginning of the series, Obi-Wan's in our camp, right? He's like, I can't leave. I, I, I suck. And, and I'm supposed to help the boy. And then you're like, well, yeah, of course, duh, it would be Leia. And of course, uh, you get, you know, uh, Bail Organa, which by the way, you know, give me more Jimmy Smiths. I really hope that's not the last we see of him because he is charming on screen and I can't wait. You know, that was really a joy, but yeah, of course, um, but I do think that I, I do think that it it I think it was exactly that. I think a lot of it happened on there, and it's kind of interesting. I think once they once they kind of broke the seal, then mm. I think I think they kind of gave themselves permission to take us places, and I'm kind of happy with it because we've spent a lot of time on Tatooine, and now we're seeing you know Deyu, which I originally I thought was Coruscant. Now I'm like, no, of course they said it, and mm. we're seeing you know we're seeing Alderaan and we're seeing Mapuzo and we're seeing. Where are the uh, Inquisitors at, by the way? Hmm. Well, we saw Mustafar, but they're right. uh, they are not there. I I know that that uh, Fortress Inquisitorius was present in Jedi Fallen Order, but I am blanking on what planet that is on. Uh, maybe I'll do some background googling while we're there. Uh, I do just want to. Uh, I mean, I'm just going to be that jerk. Uh, so <laughs> um, the. Uh, the the surprise of seeing uh, Alderaan hit so well in the in the arena, right? Mm-hmm. So as as Greg alluded to, if people haven't listened to our celebration shows, uh, I was in the arena for the world premiere, so I was way back up in the balcony. I wasn't sitting next to Ewan or anything, um, <laughs> but you know, I think everybody expected Kenobi to function a bit like Mandalorian uh, where we would stay really tightly focused on the one character. Cause you know, we really rarely leave Mando in Mandalorian. Um, and so when all of a sudden it cuts to Alderaan and you just hear the pops around the arena, the gasps, the muttered curse words as people realize <laughs> like, Oh, we're going there. And then of course, with the initial dressing scene of Leia, everybody's like, Oh, we're, we're really, going there um uh and that was just really exciting i think um for everybody in the arena and then they one other thing so uh of course bail organa was a surprise i completely agree with you and the surprise of the premiere was that jimmy smith's popped out at the end of the, <gasps> the episode so um you know they had kept things very quiet and nobody who hadn't been visible earlier in the day was there and then they started calling people on stage and jimmy smith pops out from behind the curtain he was jumping he was dancing he was waving <laughs> um, you know i think a lot of the cast had had that earlier moment in the day where they realized how big a deal this was but he was just so excited to be in front of star wars fans it to me my takeaway was Whatever they ask him to do in the future, he's just going to do it. And, you know, yeah. the the cast posed for a selfie, so all of us behind them. And while they're doing that, Jimmy Smith is turning around and throwing his arm up saying, you know, uh, you know, louder, 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 cheer, cheer, cheer. So he was he was having the time of his life. And um, the scene with him and Leia is so precious that, you know, whatever they want to give us. Agreed, agreed. And All that's right, cool. And, I, and I didn't I didn't realize he had done that. So you were to talk about audible gasp. That's me right there. <laughs> uh, and of course, Fortress Inquisitorius is on uh, NUR, N-U-R. Thank you, Wikipedia. <laughs> we'll just call it the Inquisitor Clubhouse. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you for looking at that for me. Um, here's speaking of the Inquisitors. Yeah. 
Um, and I was trying, I was struggling to try to find the way of asking this, but it's interesting that I guess, I guess we're 10 years in, Mm -hmm. but it's interesting that we see a very pragmatic set of inquisitors. You know, if you think that Obi-Wan Kenobi is a Debbie Downer at this point, they're also really not happy at this point because they're, you know, as what, uh, Reva was saying, chasing after scraps and they've Mm -hmm. kind of given up on Kenobi. It's kind of interesting that, is it just a little bit of bureaucracy where everybody's just kind of like trying to, to save their own skin as it were. And no one's really taking any chances because you're like, why wouldn't you, unless everybody's what, um, Admiral Ozzel in, in this inquisitorious <laughs> where there's like, no, of course not. We've, we've done all this. So yeah. I'm curious on your take on the inquisitorious at this stretch at this stretch. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting because they are, you know, um, to, to put what you just said another way, what is wonderful about Vader and the Emperor to a degree is that they're stoic, right? They are mm-hmm. still, they are slow to act, and then when they act, it's it's impressive. And I think the Inquisitorius is giving us this opposite feeling of their kind of squabbling and bickering, like you were saying, and there's, there's infighting and politicking. And it, it goes back to, um, you know, where where are these individuals from? How have they been raised and and so on? But I I do think that we see in Riva somebody who still wants to to really change the galaxy. And I have a question about her for you next. Mm. Um, but she sees great evil and she wants to serve the Empire by taking down that evil. I think that then means that she's smarter than a lot of the other inquisitors that we see. I think she's uh, proving herself to be more powerful and vicious in tactics. Um, So all of that means that she's not going to make any friends (laughs) and they're going (laughs) to, they're not going to hang out in the clubhouse, right. Or the, the inquisitor rumpus room. Uh, They're going (laughs) to, they're going to move out of there. So, um, so, all of that is to say, I think there are some ways in which they feel petty and small, but they are an impressive presence nonetheless. The opening of them walking down the street on Tatooine and the way the crowd's reacting. And then I believe it was not until the third episode when we go to the clubhouse. If you look carefully when they're around the table, around the edges of the room seems to be a shelf filled with lightsabers and it has to be people they've killed and Jedi they've captured. Um, and sprinkled amongst those are what appear to be some Padawan helmets, right? The the little mat. So I think to underestimate them is wrong. Um, but I do think they are much more, uh, kind of petty than I would have imagined them to be. Hmm. Agreed. Yeah. And I, I do, you know, it's interesting because with the fifth brother, you know, there is that and the Grand Inquisitor, mm. you do have that direct rebels tie in. So you do have a little history with uh, and it's interesting, you know, you're, you're the whole time I'm thinking like, well, how are they going to pull off fifth brother's helmet? Eh, they didn't do a bad job of it. Mm. Um, and I really like I really like the actor. Uh, not that I'm going to make you keep Googling all night, uh, but <laughs> I do really like the actor who's playing the fifth brother. And I also like what is it? uh is it third sister or fourth sister or second sister? Who's the other one that doesn't? Ooh, uh, I'm not positive. I'm very bad at this. It is n- Reva. Reva is the third sister. Third sister, and the second sister is well, that from was fallen Jedi order. Fallen Order. So she must be and fourth the sister. Sixth sister is Sarah Michelle Gellar on Rebels. So it must be the the 
fourth. Yeah, I think I, you're. I think you're right. Yeah, uh, the very impressive costume that was on the floor in Anaheim, right, with the head tails mm-hmm. and, and so on. Yeah, it's interesting, and I'm curious if we'll see a little more of her or a little more of the Inquisitorious. Um, mm. uh, but yeah, I, I think you know it, it's interesting just how they're operating and. In some cases, it's almost like, you know, Reva's kind of giving him kind of an OK Boomer kind of moment where it's like, <laughs> come on, you know, why aren't you why aren't we doing this? So, you know, I, I do like that. She seems like she's really trying to mix things up. And uh, she has a backstory as well. She has a backstory mm-hmm. as well. All right. Well, there's my opening. So um, I want to know where you're landing halfway through the series. I want to hear you uh, share some thoughts on what you think is motivating Riva, which again, I think is something we talked a bit about um, in our, our pregame show. Um, I'm curious about this. So, so there's ambition. Is she just mm-hmm. trying to become the head of uh, the grand inquisitor and, and she'll stop at nothing or as has become the popular theory, is she anti-Jedi for a more specific reason? Um, you know, could this be a, a former Jedi or uh, somebody who uh, was wronged by the Jedi in some way? Uh, what are you thinking? What What do you feel is, is most likely at this point about what's motivating Riva? Well, it's interesting because you did take one of the questions off the table uh, right. that I had, which is that do you think Riva was a Jedi Padawan? But to answer your question, I do believe she was a Jedi Padawan. And I'm going to reference... Um, when Grand Inquisitor says we found you in the gutter mm-hmm. and really doesn't, you know, you know, so I think she was found. She definitely is younger. So she probably was a younger Padawan, maybe on kind of the cusp of and, you know, maybe, you know, it, it's one of those things. Maybe she was a teen, maybe a little disillusioned, you know, maybe a little rebellious, maybe not happy uh, about being taken away from her family as a, as a youngling. Uh, that kind of thing. So there might they might have fed upon some of that to kind of turn her over. But I I do think that in she you know to me when I see how they treat her, there is the ambition side there where everybody's kind of like fighting with each other. But it's interesting also because since the Grand Inquisitor was also a Jedi Temple guard, mm. that they both are kind of a little tit for tat with each other because they both of them are kind of like you know whenever you see like a movie of someone kind of switching sides, you know those folks are not really looked at that well because they're already a traitor. So mm-hmm. I think that both of them, I think the Grand Inquisitor is just a little, you know, a little older, a little more, you know, patient version of the same and also always has to kind of be on guard because they're always probably going to be, have their alliances tested. I mean, you know, Darth Vader for that matter, and we know in, you know, either the EU and, and even canon, you know, Emperor tests him constantly, even though, you know, how how many people do I have to kill off before you're like, <laughs> that, that I can play, that I can get the, the club Sith card uh, mm. and go into the lounge, the special lounge. But yeah, I, I got a feeling that, that Revo was a, a Padawan and, you know, they use that as opposed to, I think some others, which may have just been force sensitive kids that they took away or, and they kind of tweaked, put, you know, took the old Sith labs Um, so I I do think that's where she comes from. How about you? Uh, I will agree. I mean, we know from the Clone Wars Children of the Jedi episode that, that the Emperor was stealing force sensitive infants. And, and so there is that possibility that they raised her from there, but I think you're right. That line of dialogue, um, 
when I think when Reva is confronting Owen, she says the Jedi won't protect you. Hmm. And that felt very personal to me that she has been let down by the Jedi uh, in some way. Um, And uh, she says at at another point, I'm going to get what I am owed. Hmm. And that to me was not uh, I'm owed Grand Inquisitor. That was I'm owed revenge i am owed vengeance so all of that combines and i am far from the first person to say this i i want to recognize i think she was one of those padawans in the very opening of the show i think and and it fits in with what you said right she escaped she ran for it and she ended up in the gutter somewhere and that's there and and part of i mean i don't want to you know in in D &D you call this metagaming but uh (laughs) Given the seriousness of recent events, it would have been very smart and easy to trim that Order 66 scene off the front of this episode. Uh, And I think it would have been a shame because it was a really gripping opening and and jaw dropping. Uh, But it feels to me like you had to keep it because it meant something. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you instantly jumped away from it. And, you know, it was a reminder of how vicious the empire is and what has happened in, in this galaxy. But I, I think it, I think it's the key to understanding Riva and what's motivating her. And it might just become one of those things where when she reveals that in episode five or six, you go back and you realize there's a different attitude on, on each of her lines all the way through proving that Moses Ingram is incredible. Cause I mean, she's just, kicking it on this show she's so good uh and i think she might be doing even more than we suspect she's doing and i think also if the key to hunting jedi is patience i think the key to understanding reva is also patience i think there's a huge payoff there i am more than willing to take that step because i just think there's a lot more there and i'm i'm enjoying kind of just as obi-wan uh, yeah, as he was getting ready to leave, and as we were getting to re- re- leave uh, Tatooine, uh, he's in full, you know, Jedi sleuth mode, and uh, mm. and I think that we're also on the hunt to try to find some of the, you know, some of the methods, some of the reasonings uh, behind some of these characters, uh, including a couple which I hope that we get a chance to talk about as we move into Dayu, mm. uh, new Star Wars Underground. Um, but let's see. I'm going to skip two because I really want to bring it up. Sure. Why do you think Haja Estri mm. helped Obi-Wan? Hmm. I mean, first of all, I just want to celebrate again that we actually got Kumail in the show. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he was great. And I really liked that as a character. Um. I think that that was a really interesting choice and it, it was interesting. Uh, so, so I saw this again opening night and then I returned home and I, I watched it with my son Henry now and, and the second watching of, of it, I was really struck by how they telegraphed that he's going to find Obi-Wan to turn him in. Right. The, the little boy, mm-hmm comes to find him and he and he's like oh no that's embarrassing well we gotta go get him <laughs> and and it's a great com- comedic bit and yet then as soon as we see him like we don't see him hesitate he's just like i'm taking out this droid and i'm gonna help obi-wan get out of here um i think 
he's one of those kind of scoundrels, maybe a Han Solo type, who really understands right from wrong, good from evil, and knew that he had to to make it right, to balance his his sheet uh, for, for all things <laughs> he's done. Um, and I think it's important that even from the beginning, um, you know, he was still giving that mother and son actual help and he gave Obi-Wan actual help. He was, you know, stealing from them and taking a slice of money through trickery and so on. <laughs> but I do think, you know, he was doing the right thing. And, and that becomes a debate between Leia and, and Obi-Wan, but Leia's proven right. Like, you know, it, the plan didn't work exactly right, but everything from his side was planned out to help him. So I think he's just a good good scoundrel. Yeah, he's a little greedy. He wants he wants a piece, but uh, I think I think that's what motivated him. What are you thinking about it? One, I really think that uh, Haja and Jaco need a series or a book, but because <laughs> they made a nice they made a nice pair. Yes, I I, yeah. I think probably one of the best. There, there's a there's a number of great lines in this that we will eventually have memorized. But when mm. he's telling Obi Wan you know, 500 to find the girl, another 300 to get you off or something like that. And, and Obi goes, well, the darkness is, is an unforgiving place. And it was just like, that is classic. That's a classic Obi-Wan line, which mm. I really like the fact that they kind of kept, I mean, you know, you talked about earlier about, you know, they made it a little less dark. I'm like, that's pretty, pretty dark. Uh, I, I'd be curious to see, you know, what Frank Miller, Alan Moore uh, darkness <laughs> they had originally. Um, but I liked it. But yeah, it's, it's one of those, I think in the short amount of time that he was on there, I think it became very complex. And I like the remotes. I like the gags. Mm. And I like his take on trying to be a Jedi. Even the subtleties of that he knew that it was going, he wanted to show that he was, it was exerting, you know, energy in order for him to do the Jedi mind trick over the, over the remote. Mm. And I'm like, you picked up on a couple of interesting subtleties that we, of course, you know, thanks to Luke, thanks to, you know, some of these uh, other shows, and movies that okay, you know they they get some of this, and but it's interesting that he picked on up on some of this. But um, mm. when he's in the corridor and and facing Riva and you know trying to show her down, and and that was also a great scene. Like, what's the bounty mm. on me now? When you'll not get it. And it's interesting when you look back at Riva, just to go back to her for a second. Her reaction to him was quite interesting. Mm. You know, for a second she was puzzling, like she didn't quite know. Like no one's ever really. I mean, people have tried to stand up, but I think she really wasn't, you know, there was like this little bit of like wonderment, but disappointment and, and all this until she finally kind of snapped back and then kind of got back. But I really, I really love the fact that he kind of caught her off guard and, mm. you know, it was a great, it was a great scene and, uh, you know, just kudos for pulling that off. And then she didn't kill him. So you're mm. like, okay, all right. I don't know if we're going to come back here, but I definitely, I definitely hope this is not the last time we see him. Well, and and we've seen his Funko Pop. We've seen his uh, <laughs> trading card now. Uh, so uh, he was also heavily featured in the previously on for episode three. So I was sure we were about to see more of him in that hour. And then uh, no, no sign of him. But uh, 
Uh, yeah, I just, I also want to, since you mentioned the magnets, I want to give a shout out, <laughs> um, Star Wars Minute, um, which again, every episode studies one minute of Star Wars and they started at the, the opening of A New Hope and they are now in Solo. So they've had many seasons and hours and hours. They had a running joke for, I think, since the prequels, maybe since uh, Return of the Jedi, that there's no such thing as the Force. It's just the greatest con in the history of the galaxy, and all the Jedi are in on it. And and so whenever there's a, a thing about you know telekinesis or, or whatever, they always said, oh, it's just magnets. It's just magnets. So <laughs> I'm convinced some writer somewhere is a Star Wars Minute fan and said, let's just throw them a bone. Let's give them a little a laugh about this. But uh very clever. Um, very funny to me that he, uh, when he's faking the Jedi mind trick, he's like, I'm in your mind and, and very cheesy. Uh, and then we see uh, Reva essentially do the Kylo Ren on mm -hmm. him, right? To actually go into his mind and extract the information, which we don't, that's that's not the most heavily used force power. So it was interesting to me that she could do that and, and a nice reversal on, um, you know, that earlier scene. Well, and also that, you know, you can see in places how limited, in some cases, the Inquisitor's powers are, because she has definitely got a skip in her step, mm. but not necessarily like what we see like Obi-Wan, let's say, in episode one, where they're just like flying down. Maybe maybe he flew, maybe he, you know, dropped mm. down. Um, but also it's interesting that when she was going in his mind, she didn't quite get the whole picture because he did pretty much telegraph it. And, and later on they're saying like, Hey, we had to put a probe out. We kind of had to, to look at the manifest, mm. but she didn't get it from him. So they're not all, you know, all powerful as, as we think they are. They, their powers do have limits, um, yeah. which is interesting. They, they aren't Sith. They are right. just dark side, uh, adepts. Exactly. Yeah. All right. What you got there on your list there, Mr. Cass? Um, so, uh, a question shifting over to, uh, Leia, uh, mm. who again is, is such a surprise and such a delight in this show. Um, I, I let me ask the question and, and then I'll, I'll give you kind of some thinking on it. Are we seeing Leia use the force? And Ooh. what got me asking this question is that, you know, in the Owen and Ben confrontation, it is very much about, is he showing yet? And Owen implies that Kenobi's only interested in Luke at the moment because this is the age where he should be showing some force abilities. And then we get Leia, who's the same age, obviously. They're twins, right? Um, and I can't say that it is over the top or, you know, obvious, but I'm wondering if we are seeing that Leia has a different skill set of powers and we're understanding um, some things that would be read as intuition or reading people might actually be her using the force. What do you think? Boom. As soon as you said that, because I was I was going, you know, one of the things, obviously, and then, of course, you know, even though they're twins, boys and girls age a little differently, you know. Uh, you, you can see Luke there just kind of playing as if he's a starship and Leia is also, you know, like talking to, you know, royal family and she's doing that. So nature nurture. Right. Um, mm. But. But, yeah, I, I like the fact. Yeah, she dresses down her cousin and even Obi-Wan really well. And that's what what Obi-Wan goes. How old are you? Ten. And when mm. he goes, you don't act like it. And she's like, really? Thank you. Or something like that. But yeah, <laughs> there are a few times like they allow her to be a kid, which is really great when she meets that one creature. And she's like, <gasps> um, but also you can see some 
you know, very Leia moments in some of mm. her responses and some of how she does it. Uh, but yeah, I do think that you're right. I think there is some subtle things and I think they really wrote her very well mm. um, because it's a tough balance because you want her to be, you know, we all know where she's going to end up. Um, and I like the illusions. I like the, I, I kind of like the way they did the haircut, you know, and, you, and, the, and some of the wardrobe, which you're seeing online where people are kind of comparing shots. But I do think that you're seeing her maturity as well as, like I said, she, she knows how to read the room. And I love, you know, Bale saying, I, I don't want to be a senator. He's like, that means you're going to be a good one. Uh, so mm. even he's seeing it. Um, but I do think it maybe is a little more subtle, but I think it is, yeah. the, I think it is serving her well. I, I do agree on that. Well, and to, you know, I think um, a lot of people always, you know, the people I don't associate with, the last Jedi haters, uh, often point out like, well, where did her force powers come from all of a sudden? But I think maybe what we're seeing is is they were always there, and that's what helped her excel in the Senate. It's it's a, a skill set of force powers that are about empathy and reading people. Um, the fantastic new novel Brotherhood by Mike Chen, which is an Obi-Wan Anakin novel, features a Padawan, and, and this is at the beginning of the Clone Wars, uh, another Padawan who senses emotions and has trouble kind of turning that off. And mm. it's it's a reminder to me that, you know, the Force manifests in different ways. And, and so I think maybe we're seeing... Leia just has this very different skill set than than Luke will have someday. Uh, and before we leave that question, I, it would be improper for me not to give a shout out to uh, a good friend who I met at Celebration Anaheim last time. Uh, and I, I saw again uh, this past week, uh, his name is P.T. Uh, and P.T. Uh, opened my eyes to this as we were sitting over Roscoe's chicken and waffles in Anaheim. <laughs> uh, and cause I said, well, is, is she going to use the force by the end of the show? And he just looked at me. He's like, dude, she's already using the force. And it, Ooh. it blew my mind. Or maybe that was the fried chicken already hitting my arteries. I don't know, but, uh, <laughs> it was a, it was a great thought. And I, I fully stole that to ask you what you thought about that theory. <laughs> oh. No, and I also think that, you know, when we're talking, we were talking before about the rewrites of, of getting the story we are getting, where we're seeing it, you know, like, it's what a great misdirect where you, everybody thinks it's all about Luke, and we're getting so much more, and there isn't to say that we're not going to go back and see that, mm. uh, but it, it and in thinking that, wow, if, if the way they play it, you know, because in some cases you're going... Oh, is this going to be? Is this going to be the story? Is this what we're seeing? It's, and you're going, well, yeah, it kind of is, but that's a lot. So it's like, you know, as we are halfway through the series, and you're going, well, at some point, you know, we've got to get, we've got to have that montage, that Rocky montage, where Obi Wan probably needs to get himself into a little bit of a shape and quickly, otherwise, the next time, you know, the next time, dot dot dot, uh, two questions down the line, uh, it's not going to be. But um, yeah, I think this does sort of leave. I think there's I think the way they're structuring it, we could see some. And wouldn't it be interesting if we saw some of these kids a little older? Now you're like, mm. oh, I definitely want to see teenage as we get towards, you know, maybe the next five years as we get to where we see her at the end of Rebels mm. as, we, as we hear a uh, plane going over. <laughs> I am next to a municipal airport. Um, I, I like this idea. You know, we've now dubbed these these new actors in these roles and they're going to grow up. Right. Uh, watching Stranger Things, you're like, these are no longer children. And uh, wouldn't it be a gift to keep revisiting these characters until they age up to, you know, the Luke and Leia we know? She seemed to be having a real good time in some of the pictures I'm seeing 
Um, I think she was there, right? Was she there? Was she introduced yep, on stage? She, she also came out after uh, to big round of applause and, and a giant hug, I believe, first to Deborah Chow and then to Ewan McGregor. And the kind of hug where you just knew they took care of her and they recognized Good. the kind of risk of a, a child being that much in the spotlight. Uh, she also just joined Twitter. The account is labeled that uh, it is managed by her parents, uh, lest there be any concerns. Uh, but you can, uh, she had uh, tweeted out, if you do hashtag little Leia, you know, a, a little emoji appears now. And so she was oh, reveling dope. in that. Nice, so. nice. Yes. All right. Every that I, I'm putting it out there, Star Wars fans. You be on your best behavior. Let's we're not mm-hmm. going to have a repeat of last time. Uh, <laughs> we're not. Let's let's try to learn from our mistakes on that. Um, all right. Mm, boy, that's that's a all right. How how to come back from an, an incredibly great nuanced question? So I'll come back with probably one of the most easiest questions, just to take it off the board. Um, are you team Inquisitor met his sweet death? Or do you think that the Inquisitor is somewhere in a back to tank um, trying to put back, a, you know, to fill a very big hole in his in his uh, lower chest? This was the the first text message I had about Kenobi. Once once the civilian saw it, I had a, a cousin <laughs> reach out who's, um, you know, we we used to play Star Wars action figures together. It's my cousin Miles. I don't think he'll hear this, but shout out to you, Miles. Um, and you know we're we're friendly, but I wouldn't say we talk all that much. And this was the first thing he sent me. He's like, "Is this just their way of getting um, the kind of Jason Isaacs version of that character in, or is this really you know the end of him? Um, what what are you thinking?" And um, you know, to me. It is a a wound right in the center of the chest. You know, it's not like an arm wound or a leg wound like they often do. Um, but I, to me, this this is the Grand Inquisitor from Rebels, and it is. This is, they wouldn't mess with canon that much, right? Um, I think this is absolutely the same character, and he is going to be healed up and come back. I don't think they're sneaking in another actor. I don't think they're they're playing any games. I think it's he got knocked down but he'll get up again. Thank you Chumbawamba. <laughs> <laughs> what team are you on? Um I have to I think I'm also on team he's not dead yet uh considering that they cut Darth Maul in half. Mm. Um you know I, I think if there had been a back to tank handy maybe Gwygon is not uh, Gwygon. Mm. Um but I do think it's interesting in watching it again in, in watching it again when Reva talks to Darth Vader that she cuts short they cut short of going, they will pay for the Grand Inquisitors, and then Vader goes, mm. you know, I don't care about the Grand Inquisitor, which by the way, if you follow the comics, the Vader series, yes, that's very true. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he he really doesn't like any of the Inquisitors. But yeah, I think that is it, it's interesting that, you know, like if it's in the comics or if it's in the books you know, to cer- to a certain extent, it's fair game. I, I mm-hmm. think it's interesting. And, you know, whenever you have these sort of canon questions, it's like, look, we are not the Lucasfilm story group. Yeah. You know, as much as we like to think they know more than we do. Mm-hmm. And I give them I'm going to give them a whole lot of leeway in that they were are they you know, if this in fact was it, they were arguing about it and people going, that's a bridge too far. Mm-hmm. Now, at the end of the day, if I'm a realist and go, all right, if they did do this, would it take away a little bit? Maybe because there's such a big rebels, you know, it's a, it's a big rebels moment, but also since Dave Filoni was 
heavily involved in rebels it's you know it's okay you must really have a you know i, I then i can't wait for the gallery because i, I don't th- i don't think he would necessarily want to be asked till his dying day why did you mm. kill off the grand inquisitor so i'm like if you're gonna <laughs> if you're gonna if you're gonna die on that hill so i i am definitely in team i think he's still alive i was after a few rewatches you know we went this through this whole nonsense of it doesn't look like the grand inquisitor but upon like the rewatches i'm really i really like it when he's on screen i like mm. i like the actor i like how he sounds i like the dialogue and i'm mm. like I'm almost I'm almost not disappointed that they kill him off that they kill him off too quick because I really want to hear a little more and it would have been fun uh, to get that. Mm. So I am really hoping in the three episodes we get left, you know, because they're going to have to figure out some things. And it's kind of interesting that if the series goes on, oh, he's definitely alive. I think if it's Mm. shorter, you know, I could say you can make an argument for. So, boy, what an interesting position to what I thought was a pretty it was a pretty to me. It was like an it's a it's an obvious question. But there is no obvious answer, I don't think. Yeah, and I mean, the actor, I'm just pulling at straws here. The actor was out at Celebration. He had a table. He was doing autographs. Um, you know, when I was in the marathon Ewan McGregor line, we we shuffled past him at one point, and it seemed like he was having a great time. And, you know, that doesn't really guarantee one way or the other. But if it was only that very small role, it seems to me, you know, he wouldn't have bothered. Um, I think... The placement of him in the marketing suggests that that he's got a bigger role to play here and and maybe just here to to come back later in in another form or what have you. Uh, The only other cheating answer I have for that question is there was an interview today. I believe it was Vanity Fair with the showrunner or the head writer on this show, not Deborah Chow, but the head writer uh, whose name is escaping me. And he just said, look. Canon is canon and we know the canon. So exactly. You know, I think I think you're exactly right to say this is what the story group is for. To me, um, there is a way in which I forget which beautiful podcaster put it this way, but the the power in the canon comes down from the on screen material, right? So that what's in movies, what's on TV can rewrite things that are in books and books can rewrite what's in comics and comics and blah, blah, blah. Like there's a hierarchy there. And I don't think we would see a live action show completely contradict another show. Even if that show is animated, I just, I think they take it very seriously. The promise they made at the Canon reset that it would mostly fit together. And, you know, the small things that have changed are, you know, the opening of bad batch rewrote a little bit from, uh, the Ahsoka novel, I think. And, and, or no, the, a new dawn book one of or no the canaan comic book series that's what it was i figured um, you'd dig yourself out of that <laughs> yeah yeah i'm just gonna keep going and like what which thing i read um so all of that you know yes but i think if you always view the there's a truth that happened a true event that happened in the star wars universe some of the tales about it in comics and books get most of the details right but when we see it on screen, that's what actually happened. That's how mm-hmm. I think canon is working. No, and and you're right. I, I it the canons, you know, the way the way that um, canons Jedi Master, it's um, <laughs> Depa Balada. Uh, yep, sorry. You got um, <laughs> the way that kind of scene went down in Bad Batch, um, as opposed to when it came down in the comics. At the end of the day, it you know, I to have that happen at least animated, mm. 
being lifted from just a comic story to me was, you know, I, I wouldn't have traded that for anything. So yeah. even if the events were a little different, it doesn't necessarily take anything away. Um, so yeah, in this case, like I said, I think it's a bridge too far. I think they know what they're doing and, you know, never, you know, like your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. So mm. we're, we're going to be on this one for a while. And yeah, that, um, mm, mm. I, I want to see more. I want to see more. Yeah. All right. Are you ready to leave uh, Dayu for Mapuzo? Uh, I got actually the perfect transition question. He's uh, not the best uh, co-host in the business, folks, for <laughs> nothing. Uh, and this actually connects to the story group as well. Um, they are really going out of their way to give us a lot of Easter eggs, uh, things to track down, uh, characters that have appeared that are from the expanded universe. And so my general question is, are these just fun Easter eggs or are they planting seeds for future storytelling directly? Mm. And so uh, let me hit you with a couple of these that stood out to me. And, and this is, you know, go find Star Wars Explained to give you an exhaustive <laughs> list. I'm sure Alex and Molly have killed it on it. Um, a couple that stood out to me. I didn't know till director Benick and, and Carl from Wampa's Lair told me the little boy who is helped out uh, by uh, I've already forgotten Kumail's name. I just call him Kumail. Oh, Haja Elstree. Haja Elstree. That little boy is dressed all in green. It is said that he has force abilities. Mm -hmm. And he is headed to, to Corellia. And in the credits, he is listed as Corin. And I know you, this is the, the dark times of your fandom, but Corin <laughs> Horn is the star of the Rogue Squadron books and a fantastic character who is known for his green piloting suit and comes from Corellia and Corsac, Corellian security. Uh, are they just having fun with us or are they actually setting this up? And, and I will relate... Carl and I were debating, oh, you know, maybe they want him for this show. Oh, maybe he'll be in Rangers of the New Republic. Maybe he'll be in this. And then it's like, duh, maybe he'll be in Rogue Squadron, <laughs> the movie that's been promised to us. Uh, could it be? Uh, as I understand it, the graffiti in the the uh, Underground Railroad uh, bunker uh, in this third episode, um, it revealed that Corrin's father uh, had also been through there. It revealed that, uh, as as the dialogue did, that Quinlan mm. Boss. Oh, I'm glad you mentioned this. There, uh, and uh, there was also graffiti that uh, said "For Light and Life," which is the High Republic motto. So, um, you know, I don't. I mean, uh, there are there's a Wookiee Jedi Beriaga from the High Republic. So potentially, you know, a longer, uh, a long life, uh, lifespan, life form could have come through, or it could just be that Jedi were, were celebrating their spirit. So, uh, is Pablo messing with us? Is Pablo making us freeze frame and translate Orabesh just for his own delight? Or do you think they might be putting some seeds down? I don't know why you can't have both. Why can't we have both? <laughs> um, only because very little is done on screen that isn't, that is just random. Um, mm. And I absolutely loved that little underground railroad uh, yeah. scene and the things on there. And when I saw Quinlan Voss, when I heard his name mentioned, I, lo I was like, man, 
Clone Wars people are going to lose their absolute, you know what? <laughs> but the fact that she follows that up with he helps from time to time, that also is an Easter egg slash. It's setting something mm. up going, all right, we've been waiting to see since what? Since Revenge of the Sith is Quinlan Voss dead. Mm. Um, do not toy with us, Lucasfilm. I, I need to see, you know. You know, do I need to see maybe dad bod Quinlan Voss? I don't know. But, yeah. you know, maybe we need to see, you know, maybe that's the maybe that's kind of like the Apollo Creed to Rocky. I think maybe maybe Quinlan gets uh, gets uh, old Ben in training and uh, and then we get sort of, you know, the last vestige of uh, Obi-Wan there. Um, boy, that went off the, that that that. Thank you, guys, uh, the audience for coming with me on that one. Uh, but. <laughs> You know, I, I'm still ho- I'm still holding out for the montage sequence, but yes, I I, I do think it's probably got to be a sixty forty. I think some of this is mostly, you know, you put those things out there. It's it's kind of like you know, it's kind of like when you when you're cutting ivy, right? Ivy grows and it has little spurts that you know any one of those things could take off. Mm-hmm. And if you do a cutting, like I've been doing at work, that was part of my COVID project, was doing a lot of plants for the office. Um, you never quite know when those things start growing and you put them in the right conditions and all of a sudden you get a whole new plant or you get a whole new, you know, uh, stem going off from there. So I think that they do themselves a favor by doing that, but I think it also, they know their audience and they know that they're really, you know, like it doesn't hurt. No, nobody who's a casual fan is going to lose anything from not getting that that was, that was the thing with the thing. But Mm. I think that people who, you know, some of some of the, some of your friends in that gallery who got to watch you know the first couple with you, I would say probably hardcore fans. Anybody <laughs> anybody who walked through the doors of the NIM Convention Center, you know, were fans on another level. So I think that you know, and I think also what was nice, especially for that is you know how would you say here's here's an aside the screen sure. you watched it on how big was that screen you watched it on? Who on the main stage? Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was a movie theater size screen, I would say. It was it seemed giant. Um, you know, I was very far back across the arena in the balcony, kind of dead center, and it was giant and you could see every detail still even though I was far back. So uh uh when Jen and I accidentally sat in VIPs, let me tell you, they got quite an excellent view, but <laughs> but we got uh kicked out to go sit with the hoi polloi in the back cuz we had sat down in the wrong section. So um yeah, so I think you're right, and I think Marvel has taught us that you know it, they throw in the shout outs, they throw in the little wink, wink, nod, nods, but then when it's time to have fun with a new character, they can say, "Oh yeah, we teased Doctor Strange in uh, Winter Soldier," you know, and yeah, so maybe they tease Namor there, and we never get Namor, but you know, they 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 have the the seeds there, like you're saying with the Ivy. I think that's a good metaphor for it. Um, and I will just add Quinlan Voss by the end of this series, I'm fine with. That would be fantastic. Quinlan Voss helping get younglings to safety during the dark times. That sounds like a fantastic show to me, right? Oh, like, yeah. That could be a, a great uh, kind of uh, almost a spy thriller type vibe or something like that. That could be fantastic. And especially with someone like him who has to kind of, you know, he has, he can skate both sides of the force when he needs Mm. to. And I think that that makes for an interesting character. I think anyone that's pitching that um, would have a whole lot of red meat uh, for a series on on that, or at least a spinoff. So 
I, I would hope that we would see, you know, I, I would hope that if we see him, that uh, it's more than just a cameo because I think there that's a good character that is going to give you a lot of mileage. Well, and don't forget, um, he's the star of the Dark Disciple, Disciple novel. I almost said Dark Decipher. That was your last guess. <laughs> uh, Dark Disciple. Uh, and uh, that was an unaired arc that was written by Katie Lucas. Uh, so, you know, I don't think you're in bad shape if you're uh, one of the Lucas kids' favorite characters. Still to this day, I think that can help you uh, be present uh, as, uh, you know, we've seen time and time again. So very cool. All right. Hit me with a question. All right. Oh, and by the way, Dark Disciple, I think, holds the record um, for most times I have attempted to start a book, uh, <laughs> have, but have yet yet to finish it. Um, but what I have read, uh, multiple times, uh, is very good. I can't wait one of these days to actually finish it. Yes, I know what happens. Um, but it doesn't matter. I just want to finish it at some point before I die. Um, <laughs> at any rate, Ugh. all right, we are, we are on Mapuzo and this is where I'm starting to, I, I was going back through some of my list, but I, I think I'm going to go with my heavy one on this one as we start to mm. kind of get into, because we do have a little bit, an additional recording to do. Uh, for this particular episode. It really seems as if Vader likes to play with his food, um, (laughs) as we have seen. And it was very interesting, his level of restraint, Mm -hmm. um, as if he's been waiting for this for a very long time, uh, but still hasn't learned anything. As he was saying, you know, you you should have killed me when you had the chance. You should have killed Obi-Wan when you had a chance, but I'm surprised when he is raking, literally raking Kenobi over the coals, uh, <laughs> but is stopped short of getting him. You knew he could have if he really wanted to. Mm. Why do you think he held back other than just the ob- some of the things I was saying? What are your observations on that? Yeah, so just quick shout out that this was just a phenomenal set of scenes and from the moment vader came onto the planet you know my son got really scared my wife got scared that i was letting my son watch what he was watching um because it is dark and it is gritty and it is um you know a terrifying vader which i think a lot of fans have craved for a while um but i think you know a couple people have already complained to me um uh that there's no way obi-wan gets out of that in the end except that Vader wants him to, right? Mm. I, we see his power. He's yanking people out of buildings. He's dragging people behind him. And then he just lets that droid stride over and slowly pick up Obi-Wan and walk away with him. Like, we know he could just yank the whole droid into the fire and, you know, or, you know, ball the droid up and, and destroy it there. So, um, So your question then is why? And I don't know that I've, fully satisfied myself on the why yet i think there's a chance there's still some good in him right padme's Mm. dying words remain true and while he expresses such anger and vitriol um he doesn't necessarily just want to snuff kenobi out as quickly as he can uh, I do think he was planning in those moments a very long torture of this man. <laughs> um, so so it's either that there was still good in him or there's just nothing good in him. And he had purely evil plans, I guess, is, is my are my two working theories. Um, and I think, you know, I think for Vader, 
Kenobi is not like the way to find more Jedi. Kenobi is the man who, as he says in this episode, turned him into this, right? Mm-hmm. I am what you ha- you made me. And I think that it isn't going to be, I just want to hit him with a lightsaber as quick as, as I can. It's going to be, I want him to suffer because, you know, the more we see a Vader in this time, it is a life of suffering. He's not just a total badass kicking butt all over the place. He's in the tank a lot, right? Mm-hmm. He's in the tank now. He's in the tank in Rogue One. Um, he is actively suffering from these injuries still. Um, and I think he is determined to make sure that Kenobi has that same lover- level of suffering. Um that's my best explanation. It's also, you know, it, the moment at the end just struck me like when uh, Ray and Kylo are facing off and suddenly the planet opens up between them and they're just like, nope, all right, let's go. <laughs> see, you, see you next time, buddy. Uh, this is just episode seven. I'll, I'll see you in number eight. Um, and so I, I say that not as a criticism of the sequels or of this, but like we know how it works, right? We're halfway through. We know they neither can kill the other. So I think we accept a little that operatic theatricality just to to let it continue. (laughs) And I also think it's interesting that, you know, in some way he, in some ways he, he needs Kenobi, Mm. you know, he has to feed off his hate and I, he kind of loses a little bit, you know, now of course by new hope, he doesn't really that he's kind of over that, Mm. but it's interesting that, you know, what, what part does Kenobi's, his hatred of Kenobi kind of help him focus your hatred, get, you know, your hatred gives you focus. Mm. So it's interesting. Yeah. Like I said, it's just this whole, you know, I really want to do it right. Snidely whiplash kind of thing where I had this whole, I had this whole thing in my mind of how I was going to do it. And I don't want to do it that way. And <laughs> I can give you the power. Cause obviously you're not a threat to me. So, um, mm. But uh, yes, it is nice. That, and for our story purposes, it is nice that uh, Kenobi gets away. So we have episodes four, five and six. Otherwise, mm. it was a much it'd be a much shorter series when you go. Well, that was that was uh, that's different. Um, <laughs> but at any rate. All right. Do we have anything more? I know we've been going on for a bit, um, but Let, I got I have a closing one for you. Nice. Uh, nice. So in passing, I will was going to ask, uh, was the use of Vader good for you? It sounds like you're pretty positive on it. Um, I, think so, yes. I did like, uh, Kelly on, uh, Twitter had a great version. You know, the, the dog sitting in the building on fire saying, this is fine. It was <laughs> Vader in the fire saying, this is fine. Uh, which I liked. Um, so this is not specific to this third episode. Oh, also a shout out to Zach Braff who played the, the Freck, uh, Zach. Oh, Brack, yes. Of, of Grubbs fame. I uh, tweeted out when I saw his name in the credits. I was like, what? Who is Zach Braff? And uh, that tweet got picked up by Men's Health Magazine. So uh, wow. I'm, I'm published in Men's Health Magazine. Wait till my <laughs> tenure committee sees that. Uh, uh, but that means both the Scrubs guys, because Donald Faison is hype Faison in, uh, in Resistance. So we've gotten, we're going to get the Scrubs cast just like we've been getting the Cheers cast. There we go. Okay. So here's my summary question to you. As you look at the series so far, uh, what has changed about how you view the OT, the PT, or the ST? Uh, how has anything here kind of reshaped your understanding of, 
of these films? Is it is mm. it breaking the canon as some Star Wars trolls would have me believe, or do you think this is kind of sliding in neatly and enhancing your views of the the old trilogy? I would say that the way Ewan McGregor is playing Obi-Wan at this point, to me, was very realistic. And we kind of talked about that, you know, before where, you know, a lot of people weren't very happy with Grumpy Luke in The Last Jedi mm. as how he could be that way. But I think if you see, it, it, if you weren't on board for that, you're not going to be on board for what Kenobi is right now. Mm. But I do think that they, of, of him playing of kind of a guy that's worn down that lets that one Jedi who should have just known better. I'm like, you're asking for trouble, kid. Um, you know, basically kind of die on the vine. It's like, dude, you better just, just bury those lightsabers and just bolt. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he knows what he's saying, even saying, you know, to, to Bail Organa, I'm not the man that I once was and so forth. So um, I, I buy this version of it. And I like the fact that we're getting this nuance of it. It's interesting that, you kind of need to start here because I think by by you know when at the time we meet Ben Kenobi in A New Hope, he knows what he needs to do. He didn't necessarily you know he, as soon as he sees Leia's hologram, all right, he's on it. So at some point he had he is one accepted where he needs to be. How far away from town I need to I need to be further <laughs> away from Anchorhead. Um, mm. But at the same time, he's kind of at at this point, and maybe this is the, the Gwai Gon we're waiting for. Where he he kind of makes peace with it, and this is what my mission is, and this is how I'm going to have to live the next ten years or or so until something something pops. Um, I I've said over and over again that you know the subsequent series, the Clone Wars, and you know shows like this uh, Bad Batch have really helped me come to appreciate the prequels, even though there are, I can take qualms with certain ways things were done or you know scenes i'm not crazy about there's a lot to like there and all this has done mm-hmm. is make me kind of enjoy that more because you know going back and discovering the clone wars and 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 getting more into that um it's been fun and as you read more there's just so much there to mine that those mm-hmm. what seven seasons really have produced a lot of fruit and hey they were you know some of the last things that george had his direct hand in so that 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 you know, that wasn't changed a la scripts for, you know, the, the, the sequel trilogy, as far as the sequel trilogy, um, that seems to be remain. I think their time is coming. And Mm. if the prequels have taught us anything, time and patience and some good stories, you know, Adam Christopher, we list, we heard is writing a, one of the first books, Mm. um, uh, regarding, you know, Luke and Lando. So I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I, I think with those, it's like, they'll get their moment just like these, but I think that there's, as we just talked about, there's a lot of stories in and out that we can we can kind of go back to, and it's really fun. And now these characters are not only getting their due, and hopefully in this point, some of the child actors that we're seeing, and hopefully we'll meet young Luke and, and uh, we'll get more of Leia. Um, there's a future for them if they want. And, you know, hopefully, I think this time around, uh, hopefully fandom will be a lot, you know, a lot better as far as, like, helping them just be kids and enjoying it. If they want to continue, great. If not, leave them alone. Yeah. Uh, let them do their I thing. They, they they they're they're bit for king and country. Uh, let me let me hit really fast on one for each prequel trilogy. This continues to make me realize how important Qui Gon Jinn is. Mm. He continues uh, again. Read Brotherhood uh, and uh, some other times when when we're learning more and more about Qui Gon. Back to Dave Filoni saying in the uh, 
the Mandalorian gallery episodes, you know, Duel of the Fates is about what Qui-Gon could have done if he raised uh, Luke, or sorry, Anakin. So now what does it mean that Kenobi is doing that? Uh, or he's raising Kenobi again, right? That mm. Kenobi's returning to him. Original trilogy, gosh, just the simple <laughs> line, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. That is not anymore a teenager reaching out to her father's buddy. That yep. is Leia remembering the man who helped her at that time when she was scared because she'd never been off planet and he was there and she knows what he can do. Uh, remember the, uh, aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper? My name's Luke Skywalker. I'm here to rescue you. I came here with Ben Kenobi. Yep. Ben Kenobi, right? Like Leia knew that name right away. And isn't that it? Right. Uh, and then sequel trilogy. I think a lot of cynical people said Leia didn't even know Ben Kenobi. Why would she name her son Ben? Ah. Now we know why she would name her son Ben. Right. She knew the man. She knew who he was. Uh, and so to me, that that solves that problem, too, if that was a problem. <laughs> yeah, you know, and also, you know, helping her not fall to her death. Uh, that helps. Uh, yeah, it's a good yeah. force. That's a good introduction to the force, kid. Right there. <laughs> All right. Um, I would absolutely love this to go longer. But then we'd have to do some real work, like re-recording parts of the earlier part of this show right afterwards. Um, and we also have a lot of recap podcasts. There's a lot of websites and a lot of our fellow friends we met in celebration uh, that we can't wait to hear their takes and their, you know, hopefully answering some of the questions that we had and giving us a lot of insight that we didn't even have a chance to cover. I know there's a lot of uh, a lot of our friends out there who are going to have two and three hour podcasts, uh, mm. maybe on each episode. Um, it's like I said, it's a shame that we had this all condensed and we didn't get a chance to, as we were talking before the show of hopefully getting some of our friends on uh, in future episodes, because we've only got about three more weeks of this. So hopefully uh, we can enlist some of our brethren and sistren out there uh, to give us a hand to ask more questions. That mm. said, um, we will sign off for this week and this set of shows, but hopefully we'll be back schedules, allowing, uh, windows that we can find with more questions than we hope somebody answers. Uh, but at this point for Gregory Cass and myself, uh, we are going to return you to your regular podcast playlist already in progress. The music for this podcast is brought to you under a creative commons license from Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails. This is Discipline off the album The Slip. This podcast is not affiliated in any way with Topps, Disney, or Star Wars, nor is it endorsed by Disney or Lucasfilm, and is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. All names and sounds and any other related items are properties of their respective trademarks and or copyright holders here in the U.S. and abroad. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com.